We will, uh, we will be in 1 Corinthians 6 today uh, as we are working our way through uh, the book of 1 Corinthians uh, slowly uh, and uh, insightfully and delightfully. It, is, uh, it has been such a treat to go through this book. Um, thank you to, uh, to uh, our brother, uh, preacher, Andrew Hancock, yesterday or last week for giving such a, such a, a faithful, diligent uh, exposition of uh, of chapter five of Corinthians. Um, man, what a what a difficult one. And I, I did want to. I, I had to I had to step out and take the day off um, uh, that day. Um, and uh, and I just want to let you know, Andrew was assigned this text today, and uh, just on a whim, he uh, he said, you know what, I'm preaching at another church. Uh, let me check and see if I can you know mess with their preaching calendars so that I can relieve you so that you can have a day off. I mean, what a, what a sweetness. And so he took church discipline uh, on a day he wasn't scheduled so that I could talk to you about yelling at each other. It's so much easier to preach this one than, uh, than, uh, than that one. And uh, what a sweetness it has. Uh, just the, 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 the North Campus family is, has a, is a deep encouragement uh, to me. And, uh, and, and what, he had, what he had given us last week, um, as I sat here, even though I had the day off, I came and, and just sat under his teaching, make sure we're okay here. Uh, this was all set up, this sanctuary room was set up as a, um, as a preschool. So I sat in the preschool room and, uh, and watched him over, you know, one of the uh, blinds there and, and, and just listened to him pour out the gospel and how we move towards, uh, we judge one another because of the love we have for one another. And that's where we're going to be today. That's, uh, that's exactly where we're going to be landed uh, in this. But as I sat there, I just got, I, I got, I got hit with it. I said, what is, what, what am I, what am I hearing from 1 Corinthians 5 to 1 Corinthians 6? And I'm going to give it to you today uh, as our urge today. So I'll give that up front, and then we will work our way through the text here, is what I heard him saying with this idea of church discipline and removing those from the, from the church. What I hear in, in 1 Corinthians 6 and moving towards people, it's shameful to bring lawsuits against the other believers, uh, is this idea, and here is our principle for today, uh, go there in love before you get there in law. Go there before you get there. Uh, and that's going to be where we, we, where we hit on over and over again um, today. This is a general principle that happens in the book of 1 Corinthians. And so in 1 Corinthians, we, we, we hear of Paul um, writing to a church that's pretty messed up. And, and I, when I say pretty messed up, they're pretty, I don't know, I kind of feel like sometimes they're unfortunately normal. Uh, there are many of us churches that have Corinthian hearts. We, we, are, we have a tendency toward a Corinthian uh, way. So it's helpful for us to look at the Corinthian church and see what's going wrong there. What, how, what is the solution here? How do we correct this? What is the way in which we understand God and our relationship? there and, and, and Scripture and our teachers and one another and just how we live and worship together. Um, so that's a wonderful way of just seeing the anatomy of a, right, of, of a good church by looking at uh, something that is a little lackluster here. What's wrong with the Corinthian church in chapter 6 is um, and that we find out is that they have a misunderstanding of the justice system, uh, and, and they just really don't get how judging and law and all of those things work, because as we know, they're, they're very smart, they're very intelligent, but for some reason, they just haven't turned on the switch to love one another. Uh, so they get all of the system uh, in place. They understand a lot of what the law might be, but for some reason, it, it hasn't turned into a love of one another, nor has it turned into a practical application in daily life. It's something that you go to the church, you think about these things, and then you walk away and do whatever you want, and you go and you judge whoever you want. 
And so we say, whoa, 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 whoa. This, is, this is not okay. This is, this is, this is rough <laughs> at best. Uh, this, is, uh, this is not the way that the people of God uh, learn and love together. He's already addressed this. He said there's a factionalism that's happening amongst you. There is a, uh, there's a celebrity pastor kind of a feel that's going on here because you really want the, 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 loudest, uh, the loudest, most compelling, uh, smartest sounding argument to win the day, and you've taken that now to your interaction with one another, and, 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 and you, you start to argue and figure out who's right and who's wrong, and, and the one who is, uh, who is most compelling is going to win the day rather than the one who is based in the truth of God and the love of Christ. And so he's wanting us to recalibrate ourselves to this. We, we, do this. we do this often. I don't know. Okay, when I say we, I'm saying, okay, my heart is very Corinthian in this. And I want to argue someone to my point as I establish my principles, as I establish my opinion, as I, um, as I then um, try and gather support publicly to my side, uh, whether that's through slander or gossip or social media, and then I try and get this force to then come and say, all right, let's put this before you publicly. You did wrong. Change. Uh, that's not the way we go about it, he says. Uh, Paul is saying this is, this is utterly incorrect here, and it's to our shame. I will read through this slowly, but there, there are three sections I really believe are, are, are part of this, uh, this, this thought that Paul is compelling us to, to go there in love before we get there in law. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to urge us to this idea of this same mind, he says back in chapter 1, verse 10, I appeal to you, which is, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, but that, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment, that you have the same mind, that not only the content of what you know, but the way in which it's, it's done. Maybe I'll say it a different way. Uh, the wisdom that you hold to, the wisdom of God, which is Jesus Christ crucified, that wisdom is all the same. You understand that that is our operating principle, but then the way in which you apply that, the wisdom and the way, are the same mind. And therefore, when you decide things, you have the very last two words of uh, verse 10, chapter 1, that you have the same judgment. So I'll read these first few verses here and, uh, and, and ask the question, who's the lawgiver? Where is our wisdom? What's our purpose? This is verse 1 of chapter 6, 1 Corinthians. When one of you has any grievance against one another, does he dare to go uh, to the law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world, and if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more, then, matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases... Why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? So this is his question. What's going on here? He asks these couple of questions here that I, that I find pretty, uh, pretty helpful. So as we go there before we get there, one of the questions we need to know is, who actually designs the law? Where does this, where does this wisdom come from, and, and, and what is our role uh, in this, uh, in this whole process? Well, here in 1 first, in first Corinthians 6, he's, he talks a whole lot about judgment. Don't you know that you will judge the saints, or the saints will judge the world? Don't you know that you will judge angels? I mean, this is a lot of power that they get. It's a little confusing if we remember his, his conversation about judgment up to this point, because back in chapter 4, verse 5, he says, therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time. And then in chapter 5, 
He says, uh, chapter 5, verse 3, he says, I have already pronounced judgment. So I always have to ask the question, okay, Paul, make up your mind. Is it, are we going to go back and forth? Don't judge, do judge, don't judge, do judge. Uh, he's going to mention the words judgment or decision-making and, and lean into this some 19 times in 16 chapters of 1 Corinthians. So he really cares a whole lot about how we're making judgments and decisions. And so maybe it'd be helpful just to give you a little bit of a, of a difference between what is man's role and what is God's role in the judgment. Because he means both of these, but he needs, he needs us to take only what is ours and not reach over to what is God's. I think what, what we get is that when he says, um, when Paul says something about judging uh, the workers and the work that they do, uh, this is in chapter 4 and elsewhere, what we find is that the, the Trinity, uh, uh, God, uh, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, all have particular aspects of judgment on the heart of the individual. And so I may preach a sermon to you, and you may judge it based on whether it sounds good or it's funny or it, uh, or it makes sense or it speaks to something, you know, a felt need that you have. And maybe that's a judgment that you have. I mean, there are really good judgments that you make as well. But God is judging on something different. He's judging whether I actually believe this, whether I'm actually trying to spin you away from the gospel for my own ends. There are two different judgments that are happening. And he says, so don't judge these flashy leaders based on what you see. There's, God will judge that. God will test, is what he says, the work of the workers. Christ will judge the heart. A spirit will convict towards sin. That is the judgment that takes place. So in, in 1 Corinthians 4, he says, don't, don't, don't judge there. That's for God to test those people. They will be before God, and their, and their work will be tested with fire. Uh, and, but then he goes on to say, though, the, the role of the church, if that's the role of God, the role of the church has been given a very uh, good, meaningful opportunity, a very, uh, a very weighty task, and that is to guard the holiness of the people. We know God's law. We, we understand God's law. If we read God's law, we gain more understanding and more desire for it. And from this, the church is to rightly understand we have everything that is sufficient for life and faith in this world. And we are to uh, be entrusted with the gospel. We are defenders of the faith. And when we take this, we guard the holiness, the application, the living out of the gospel in our daily lives. And so that's why in chapter 5, Paul can say, this sin is judged by God, but now it has become public, so the church needs to weigh in on this. Now we've seen this, and this is utterly wrong. We've gotten too far. We need to talk to this person about their sin. Because mankind can't pretend. <laughs> well, we can pretend, but we can't actually judge every secret heart or every secret thought of mankind. But when things come out, whether in word, uh, whether in action, we need to guard the holiness of the church. We need to guard the holiness that God's people are to have. And so then when we get here to chapter 6, this idea of, of judgment, is it says, don't you know that you're going to have a ton of power here? You're going to have a ton of authority, and you, in your union with Christ, will be judging the world. You will judge angels. This is in Daniel, in Matthew, in Revelation. We get, we get, a, we get an understanding of this. It says, so it's not like I tell, didn't tell you not to do this. I gave you a whole bunch of authority and power to do this. I gave you uh, everything that you needed here spiritually, but then even physically in, 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 in your daily lives, you are enriched. This is uh, chapter 1, verse 5. You are enriched in all speech, so you can reason around it, uh, and or reason through it, talk through it, and you are speech in all knowledge. You actually have the tools to understand what's right and wrong. 
He says, so these people get this. So then he kind of rhetorically, sarcastically, maybe in a pleading way, then asks the Corinthian church and maybe even asks us, so why aren't you doing this? <laughs> why, are you, why are you calling up the lawyers? Why are you outsourcing your wisdom? Why are you outsourcing the work of the church to others? And he kind of supposes, is it maybe because, and you don't, don't say this to arrogant, educated people, he says, maybe, maybe you're just incompetent to do this. Maybe you're just too dumb. <laughs> maybe you don't get it. No, he's already encouraged them so many times. This, this isn't it. He says, okay, so if you already have all the tools you need, if you have the wisdom of this world, the know-how of this way, but you also have the power and the wisdom of Christ crucified, why are you not doing this? And I think what's in there is the same problem the Corinthians have everywhere else. They have not activated their hearts toward love. They have not actually moved towards one another in love. What they've done here is they've skipped every single process, and then they got there to lawsuit. They could have dealt with this way sooner, but for some reason, it built up and it boiled over. And now it's on display uh, for the world to see. It is not a win <laughs> As Paul might say, it is not a win when, public, uh, when, when Christian strife gets to public view. It's not to say that the church needs to save face, because that's more boasting in our brand or our, our organization, but it means that we have just put on display that we don't actually love each other enough to go and help and go and have that conversation. And he says, so this is, this is where it's at. You know, I was talking with, uh, with uh, a bunch of the pastors uh, this week, and Thomas Hoke, who uh, actually just uh, welcomed in, they just had a baby boy, Silas. I don't know his middle name, so I'm going to just tell you his middle name is Silas as well, so it's Silas Silas Hoke. Uh, you can ask him for clarification, just roll with that. Um, uh, the, uh, yeah, they just, uh, just a uh, healthy big boy. Uh, man, it is, uh, it is wonderful to have that, but it, it, we, before the baby came, Silas Silas came, uh, we, um, we were talking about this, and he says, it just really seems like, I thought it was incredible, I just started writing as fast as I could. Uh, Thomas said, it seems like Paul thinks that anyone who has the Spirit is more fit to judge than any of the wisest of the world. And I would agree. I think Paul agrees. I think this is, this is it. He says, why, why are we not doing this? Love. Love is that answer. We're lacking love to go there. So, I want to go to our next point then, as we go there before you get there. It takes love to go there before you get there. But here's maybe a little bit slower diagnosis of this. Let's read verses 5 through 8. He says, I say this to your shame. Can this be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers." To have lawsuits at all with one another is, is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud, even your own brothers. I mean, this is, this is lamentable. And it's amazing that Paul gets so intense with them. He says, I say this to your shame. And we know that Paul treats them as a father and is very careful not to shame them. He says this, uh, he says this back in chapter 4, verse 14. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. He is very cautious that he is not putting shame on them. But now it's as though he walked into a room and he said, whoa, guys, this is shameful. Like, I want you to know that you are bringing about your own shame because you are departing from the wisdom and the way of the gospel. 
So what is the wisdom in the way of the world if they've gone a different direction? It says, in your well-educated uh, apathy towards one another, you've consulted the world. Uh, the wisdom of the world, I would say, is, I mean, you, you could take it to a lawyer. I mean, that's one thing, but it seems like right now, I'm just going to take the Corinthian heart and the principles there and put it in 2020, America. It seems like we can go to lawyers for things, but I would say that actually more powerful right now because we're somewhat anti-authoritarian uh, just in general. Uh, it seems like more public opinion is actually what determines right and wrong these days. Like not actually the lawyers, but the public opinion. It seems like that's the wisdom of the world. You just don't want to get shamed. You don't want to get canceled. Uh, that's, that's really what we're fearing right now. Public opinion seems to be where we put things. And then what is the way of the world? The way of the world is, is, is just, to, just to throw someone that way. <laughs> I don't like this. Uh, I'm not even going to go with politicians or, or, or public figures or anything like that. I don't like this person in my life. I'm going to send them off to the dogs. I'm going to send them off to public opinion, and they will sort it out uh, what it is. Well, they don't really sort it out. We just find our tribes, and we, we run with those things, and, and that's, where, that's where it all gets sorted out. Is this the way of the world? No. And Paul says that emphatically to the Ephesian church. He says to the Ephesian church, but that is not how you knew Christ. How did we know Christ? What is the wisdom that we, do, that we know through Christ? Well, we get that here in chapter 1, verses 23 and 24. Wisdom is Christ crucified. That's, I mean, that's a whole different, that's not even like kind of a different thing. It's a whole different world, a whole different paradigm. Rather than what do people say about this? What do we think about this? Where is the general ballpark of opinion? Um, we go all the way over to this thing, Christ crucified. We sit at the foot of the cross. The judgment seat is moved out of the chaos of the, the nations that rage, and we set it right in front of uh, a dead Savior. That's incredible. The humility that that takes, the humility that that embodies, and that then pushes us to the way of the gospel, the way of Christ. Because we get the content, the wisdom is Christ crucified, which is a stumbling block uh, for those who don't believe. But for those who believe, Christ crucified is not defeat, but victory. It is the power of God, the wisdom of God. And when Jesus died in that way, it patterned for us love that is steadfastly loyal, and that is humble. And right there is what we need to go there before we get there. And I, I do want to pause here for, for a moment just to, to, to help land this a little more, because it's not simply lawsuits. Well, lawsuits are stated here, but if we're thinking about how does this apply to, to a bigger realm, I don't think that I make, I'm going beyond what the text says here to, to suggest that lawsuits are maybe not simply just when two people come together for a civil or a criminal disagreement and then their law is decided and then we figure out what reparations are and then we move. But rather, it's any public display of unresolved strife within the church between brother and sister. Throwing someone under the bus on social media, would, I would say, would be exactly this. Um, slandering someone in a coffee shop, gossiping behind their back, anything that isn't going directly to your brother or sister in love for their better, I think would qualify as this. 
It's shameful when we don't go and talk to one another. Or even, even, even sometimes I do this, because it's, the, it's the, the Midwesterner sidestep to this whole thing, is you say, hey, I need, I'm going to go talk to this person, but I, need, I just need to consult with you real fast. Like, how do I go about this? Blah, blah, blah. Okay, now I can go talk to them. Not skip that step. That's gossip. Now go right here. <laughs> just go to them and say, hey, I don't actually know how to talk to you. That's what you need to say, rather than go get a game plan and then come to the person. Like, just go to them. It takes humility to say, I'm frustrated. I think we're off. I don't know what to do. Can we talk? We'll get to how we prepare these conversations here in just a moment, but I do want to land the plane here with uh, verses 9 through 11. So if we know who the, uh, who the lawgiver is, that's God, who the judge is, that's Christ, who the convictor of sin is, that's, that's the Spirit, we know that, our, that uh, somewhat the church is this guardian of the holiness of, of God. That's what we're doing with each other when we, when we work together. This is what is part of the koinonia fellowship uh, that we all commit to. If we understand that the, the wisdom by which we speak to each other is Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sin, not for the accusation of mankind, but for the forgiveness of sin, and the way is through steadfast, loyal uh, love that builds up rather than puffs up, then what is our place in this story? I think this, this part is so sweet. It's a bit of a turn in tone these last verses, but so incredibly helpful for our understanding. Verses 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. What then is the role of the saints in all of this? He says, do not be deceived. Know your part. Know your place. Know your story. The story is that there is a kingdom of God, a real kingdom of God that we are in the midst of. And already, not yet, and already at the foot of the cross, not yet the last day of judgment kind of kingdom that we're part of. Through faith in Christ, forgiveness of sins, you then become citizens of this kingdom. But if we're following the text here, you're even more than that. You are welcomed into the family of God and you are inheritors of the kingdom of God. Though Paul is speaking to this negatively and saying the unrighteous will not inherit it means, flip it, the righteous will inherit the kingdom of God. And if we are inheritors, then we live under the rule of God now. This is our wisdom. This is our way. Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sins. And it is through faith in Christ and by living under his rule that we are declared righteous and we walk in the way, as all of the Psalms are pointing us to, in the way of righteousness. The righteous will inherit the kingdom. But I do want to speak a little bit here to the unrighteous. He's very, very negative towards them. Uh, and then flips that and negative towards the, the Corinthians in, in a good prophetic kind of a way. The unrighteous do some pretty terrible things. Uh, we read this whole list right here. And I, I will actually 
not go through the list in detail today. Uh, next week, we'll be going through this list. Um, he's going to talk through sexual immorality. He's going to talk through homosexuality. He's going to talk through these things. This will be next week, just kind of as a heads up for you to be preparing your families for those kind of conversations. We need to go there. He goes there, and we'll talk about how the gospel applies to those next week. But there is just a general principle that comes out of this. As he's saying, if we, if we, if we look at these things, He's saying these things are really bad. These things are not okay for the people of God because uh, these are all little nuances one way or another. And but the general uh, DNA of these things, the general uh, uh, common denominator of all of these is that all of these sins treat others as objects. I mean, go through that list. Other people are objects for their own gratification. Utterly against the gospel. That is not the gospel. <laughs> If the gospel were that, Jesus would have come down and said, you're all sinners, there is no hope, and that's the end of it. But that's not the gospel. That's not how you know Christ. Rather, the story we are in is that we treat others rightly in the kingdom of God as the image bearers of the king. They have value. They have purpose. But they've lost this because their hearts are apathetic toward loving one another, which sounds a lot like what our Corinthian hearts gravitate towards, too, as well. But here's the gospel turn, and I love when Paul does a sweet gospel turn here. Verse, uh, verse 11, he says something. He says, as such were some of you. This deplorable crew doing icky sins and not-so-icky sins, they're all sins that are disqualifying them for the inheritance of the kingdom. All of them were actually all of you. But he puts it in the past tense. He says, while believers, if we're talking about the law, while all believers were and uh, were lawbreakers, all believers are also um, forgiven. They are declared innocent because Christ took that guilt for them. That's the gospel in action. As such were some of you. I think what this does for us, when somebody does you wrong, it's good to remember that we're all uh, repentant sinners. I like to refer to Christians that way uh, because when I think of, of Christians that way, it puts us in a great category. We are all repentant sinners, those who actually are Christians. Uh, otherwise, we're all sinners, that's everyone. Uh, but those who are Christians are repentant sinners. Because then when my brother or my sister does me wrong, I remember, oh, wait, they've repented of sin. They've done that once. They can do that again. Or they will understand when I repent of that because they've done it, and they will, they will know that I've sinned against them. But we're all sinners. Rather than, I am holy, I am the center of holiness, I am the defender of holiness, everyone away from my holiness. But it takes a Christ-like humility to admit our wrongs and also to give other people the benefit of the doubt. So I want to go there. This, I think this is just dropping this right in today. I think there are four maybe uh, basic ideas that I might give you of, like, how do we actually go there before we get there? Some preparatory, you know, uh, exercises or approaches for you uh, as you do that. I think the first one is faith. We need to be a people of faith. You know, we're all sinners. That's just a given, whether we... Whether we uh, whether we think it or not, we're all sinners. Uh, but repentance is needed. Uh, if this is any of you, uh, if this is any of you, um, like you actually have to, your sin is real. 
Uh, and, and if you haven't come to terms with the fact that you are a sinner and need the forgiveness of Christ for salvation, um, this whole thing is not talking about you. You're actually the bad ones that we're consulting. <laughs> You're the ones who don't have the spirit, who don't have the power and wisdom of God to understand what's going on. That's, there, there, there is a hard line that Paul puts where the church people are these and everybody else is over here. But he's not saying, go away from us. You're, you're, you're deplorable. You're awful. He's saying, come, please invite you into this. This is more meaningful. This is where your purpose lands. This is where your, your identity lands. This is a much more meaningful way to be. That's so why I'd encourage you. If that's, if it's you, uh, all you have to do is acknowledge, I'm, I'm a sinner. I've done wrong things. Forgive me, God. Um, I would encourage you also not to just pray once and then let it go, but talk about it. Uh, let me know, jkc at parkviewchurch.org. You can get me there if you're online, uh, jkc, parkviewchurch.org. Let me know. I want to have a conversation. If you're here, you can just follow up with me outside when we go outside after the service. Uh, the other things that we need, though, if you are uh, of faith, is to be teachable. Here are a couple of suggestions here. Uh, know and communicate yourself. I don't think it's possible for us to be teachable if we don't understand who we are first. Um, so personality tests, I think those are, those are just fantastic. Uh, spiritual gifts inventory to understand what are your spiritual gifts. Uh, just acknowledging what sins you more gravitate towards. I, I have this kind of general principle that everybody's got their thing. <laughs> While, while you may have something you struggle with, I have something different I struggle with. And we have a similarity in the fact that we struggle, but it may be totally different. Now, it's, it's wrong for me to condemn you because your sin is something I would never think of doing. And it's also wrong for you to condemn me because my sin is something you would never think of doing. We have all these different things here, so just, just, just chill out. <laughs> We're all sinners, uh, and, and we need to understand what those sins are. Uh, we also then need to budget space for reflection and heart work. Uh, it, it's tough. You can't just drive all the time. I, I read a book one time that said, you need that balcony time. You need to go sit in the balcony and watch the play every so often. You need to actually see what's going on. Uh, and so if you don't have that, get that. Uh, what is being demanded of my time? What is being expected of me? How, how much time do I have? How much energy do I have? Because as, you know, as, as Dave Ramsey will tell you, open up your wallet or open up your you know, envelope. Do you have any dollars in there? Okay, if you don't, then you can't use it. <laughs> Same thing with your time. Same thing with your energy. Like, you have to actually use only what you have. Otherwise, you get all maxed out, and then, and then you just get into weird ways of thinking. But you also need to fill yourself. Budget the time. I have found uh, that, that the more I read the Word of God, the more teachable I become. I don't know how that works. It's some spiritual thing that, that, that the Spirit does. But the more I actually read the Bible, the more I desire to read the Bible, and the more I actually become teachable to learn the Bible. I can't explain it to you unless you just do it. And then we can say, yeah, I know. Uh, but it's a real thing. It's a real thing that happens. And so those are things that to be teachable, those are maybe some suggestions along the way. Uh, forgiveness then. You have to have faith. You have to be teachable. You have to just have a spirit and a culture of forgiveness. Uh, this is something that, that Paul says. Is he says, we have the mind of Christ, and mind of Christ is one of forgiveness. I think that we need to be a people who confess quickly, because uh, let me tell you, if we're going to go there before we get there, it's way easier, humanly speaking, it's way easier if you just like initiate the confession of sin rather than someone saying like, hey, by the way, you know, just lean into it with humility, be like, hey, I messed up. That's way easier for all of us if you do that, but uh, confessing quickly but I would say then forgiving quicker than that. When someone confesses, 
Be ready to forgive. Always be ready to forgive. And that is a requirement of ours. And I know no matter how difficult, I've heard some of your stories, some, some of the things that you've gone through are just ridiculously difficult to forgive. But it is something that we give. It is something that we are required to do. Because that forgiveness is not measuring the offense, but it's measuring our ability to just lay that at the cross. To sacrifice ourselves, to, to, to lay down our own rights. We're going to get to that next week. To lay down our own rights that we think we have against the other person. To say, golly, that was tough. That hurt me a whole lot. I'm not going to be the same. I may not trust you ever again, but at least when I lay this at the cross, I can forgive. That is a difficult one. You are, I, you are hearing a hypocrite tell you about this because this one's really hard for me. Forgiveness requires letting go of offense. We need to be a people who are quick to forgive. Uh, and then the conflict. We need to be able to frame up our conflict. Uh, we do such a terrible job, increasingly so. Good heavens, Americans are terrible at conflict. Um, we need to set boundaries. We need to set boundaries so that we're not always in battle mode. This is why you need to know yourself. You need to know what your triggers are. You need to know where you go. Uh, you need to know how you process things. Uh, for me, instant, uh, I get a menu in front of me, and I have no idea. There's too much information for me. So I already know i got to take a breath and step away. So a lot of times when I get into a conflict, I personally have to just take data, ask someone what they're thinking, and then tell them, I will come back, but the way I process, you will get nothing good from me right now. I will come back quickly. And then you have to come back. You, know, you can't just walk away with that. Um, you got to know yourself, and you got to give people the ability to be themselves in the midst of conflict, because if we're all in battle mode, which, okay, let's be honest, election year in America, we're all in battle mode. Uh, we don't think right. It's just weird, uh, and it's not going to be good. Love does not come from battle mode. And then you need to communicate well. Uh, I think one of the things is, uh, one of the, there, there are many ways that we can, we, can, we can do this. One suggestion I would give you um, is uh, I have a rule that technology is only for information transfer. Face-to-face -face is where communication happens. Do not work out your disputes on text or email, or social media. Do not do that. <laughs> it will never go well. It's never gone well. You've been burned by that because you tried it. That's why it didn't go well. You gotta hear the tone, you gotta see the person. It's so easy just to think that you're plugging in something, you know, just dropping in slander in a, in a thing, and ah, that'll get them, that'll turn them. Holy Spirit, take it and convict them. Um, that's not how it works. You gotta, the Spirit will work with you. Be in step with the Spirit. Communicate in person. And so you can text someone and say, I think I have a grievance against you. I mean, you don't have to say it that way. I think I have a grievance against you. We need to go talk this out. That's information transfer that gets you into the communication. So you can't use it to get there, but don't, don't settle the dispute. And even if you feel like you've settled it and it's a quick thing uh, you know, uh, through technology, you need to seal the deal in person. Like you need to actually make sure you're okay. Because sometimes people can give the thumbs up emoji and you're like, okay, we're good. You're not actually good. You gotta see their face. So those are some real things that I would, uh, that I would maybe put there. Is, uh, uh, so that uh, maybe some encouragements. Hopefully the Spirit can take some of those and work on you. I, hope, I, I deeply hope that we don't go the way of the Corinthian church. And I, I deeply hope that the Spirit is convicting you on ways in which you need to go there before you get there. We're going to turn our time um, here. Uh, next week we're going to talk about you know, laying down our rights. And then we're also going to go into this idea of, uh, of sexual immorality and how this all you know, kind of settle this whole thing in the Corinthian church and why when boastful people don't repent of their sins, sexual immorality is pretty ripe within them. 
So it'll be a, it'll be a, it'll be a fun time uh, next week uh, that we'll, we'll, we'll talk through uh, a bunch of this. I do want to take some moment here. We're going to pray uh, the Lord's Prayer. Right before that, uh, I am going to give us a little bit of time, uh, and I would say probably some silent time. I mean, it's only going to be a few, few seconds here, but that you can name someone in prayer to God that you need to go there because you're getting there and to ask God to convict you to be disciplined to figure out some of these ways that maybe we've talked about which you need to frame up a conversation you need to go have a conversation you need to be more aware of maybe where you're wrong in this you may need to even go you may be getting there because your sin is something you are just too stubborn to admit let the cross be what sets you there, that you sit at the foot of the cross and see the humility and the forgiveness that's there. And so, as I've set that up over the top, uh, I'm going to go there. Let's pray to our God. We'll end, with, uh, we'll, we'll end the prayer with, uh, with the Lord's Prayer at the end. God, we thank you that you are the lawgiver, that the goodness of the law flows from you in your wisdom in your ways, in your character. Uh, you speak your own character of justice into our world and you hold us to that. And in your justice, you drive us to a deeper holiness. And then for, for some bizarre reason, maybe it's your benevolence and your tender care of us, you call us to then be agents to, to, to execute that with one another through love. Well, that's a, that's a, that's a lifetime project and we... We ask for your forgiveness that we don't do it so well. Um, we may try, but oftentimes our hearts are not activated towards love. And so we want to lift up by name the people uh, that we, uh, the people or a person to which we need to go into a conversation at any level of offense. And just talk to them, make sure we're on, on, on the right terms. I pray that you would convict us uh, also if we need to confess our sins. So brothers and sisters, ask God to help you in the days ahead. God, we thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your spirit. And we thank you uh, for Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, let's pray now the prayer that our Lord Jesus Christ gives us by which we align our hearts and our minds to the will of God. Let's pray now. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.